Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, wonderful to open the Word together. I'm so glad to be here, and uh, my name is Stephen Moore. I work with the Engage Network. I don't know how many of you saw the video they posted. I am technically the Engage Network church planting resident. And that's just a really long title. It says, someday when I grow up, I hope I can be like Pastor Josh. So that's what that's all about. Uh, we entered into a, about an 18-month training program back in September that, Lord willing, will culminate in the spring of 2022 with us planting the church uh, the seventh church in the Engage Network. So um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be working with the Engage Network. And Lord willing, we will be able to add to this wonderful group of churches another sister church that we can enjoy and have fellowship together. So it's a real privilege to me to be able to go around to the different churches and get to speak and introduce myself and, and get to know you. I've already seen some faces that I recognize, and that's a joy for me. Uh, I think we've got a picture of my family here. I'm going to throw that up. And um, that is my wife uh, and my children. Her name is Ellen, and you may recognize her. She is the oldest daughter of Chuck and Diane DeClean. And so that means she's the brother of one of your pastors, Pastor Chad. Uh, so I'm, not, I'm no dummy. I know where to you know, hitch my wagon up. I got connected to the DeClean family. And when I introduced myself, you know, Stephen Moore, it's like, oh, nice to meet you. I say I'm related to the DeCleans. Oh, that's great. You, know, you just went up a few ticks in our book. So I love my wife very much. And uh, hopefully her and some of the kids will be here at second service. Those are our five children. Uh, Samuel is our oldest. He just turned 14 and got his permit to drive. So uh, we've been having some lessons. That's been exciting. And uh, then my son, Benjamin, is next. He's 12. Jariah is 9. Isaiah is 7. And uh, our baby girl, Emma, is 4 years old. She is the one that we call aggressively affectionate. Uh, we found her in the basement one time chasing all of her brothers around the room yelling, Come back here. I love you. And uh, so that's just a little bit of, of her personality. I do know Pastor Josh, we, uh, we go back a ways, back to college, as he mentioned. He shared that illustration with you, what I would like to know, and you can ask him this. So he remembers the illustration. Does he remember the point of the message? Yeah, ask him that. Say, what was, what was the illustration illustrating, Pastor Josh? Do you remember that? And uh, then I also, uh, uh, also his wife, Danielle, has cut my wife's hair for quite some time. Danielle's never offered to cut my hair, and uh, I'm not sure why that would be, but we sure appreciate them. And then also, I know Rob, and Rob and Holly, and we did work together at camp, and uh, Rob, do you remember what you used to call me back at camp? Scuba Steve, that's right. So if you can envision the hair back on the top of the head and some killer sideburns uh, and maybe a comedian who I don't necessarily like being compared to, uh, that's where Scuba Steve came from. So uh, we have some connections with this, within this wonderful body, so it's great to be here this morning, and uh, I'm glad to be opening the word to you. It's always a different experience for me to get to go to the churches. I've, this will actually be the opportunity now, um, and Living Waters was the last place that I hadn't, hadn't spoke. And uh, so I don't know if Josh just had me on probation or what, but I've been able to speak in the other places, and now I've been speaking in all of the churches. 
And I've been in pastoral ministry for 17 years, so I, I know what it's like to preach every Sunday. And just like you guys are doing here, I, I love preaching through books of the Bible, and that's what we do. Uh, that's the best way to come at the Word of God and let it speak to us and feed us. But it, it's a different experience when, when you're just kind of plopping down or jumping into the middle of the text or the middle of a church and a congregation. You don't know everything that's going on. And so that's been kind of a growing and a stretching experience for me. Plus, it's, it's always different. I uh, appreciate the brother who got up and read our text for us this morning. And, and you'll notice that it's, it's three verses. It's three verses. Josh gave me three verses to speak on. Now, I can preach for an hour on one verse. What am I going to do with three verses? No, I'm just kidding. I, usually, I'd probably have more than three verses. So he says, here you go, preach on these three verses. Very specific. I speak at Lakeside Fellowship next week. And Pastor Dave Heisterkamp, if you know who he is, he said, well, we're in the Gospel of John. So don't preach in John, but you can preach anywhere in the other 65 books. So uh, that's what my life is like right now. One pastor gives me three verses. One pastor gives me 65 books. Uh, but you know what? It, it really is fun because it always shows me the power of the Word of God. Because it doesn't matter how stressed out I, I am Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, getting ready and saying, is, is this really want, what you want for your people, Lord? On Sunday, the perfect spirit and the perfect Word combine through these imperfect lips to give you exactly what the Lord has for you today. And it happens every Sunday. Not because of me, not because of you, but because of the glory of God. Amen? And so we can know this morning that we are coming into a place to receive from God and His Word just what He wants for us today. So from these verses, I've taken the title for my sermon today, The History of Our Hope. The history of our hope. You're studying First Peter. I know you've only been in, in it for a couple of weeks, but even as I watch the videos of these past Sundays, I love the way that Pastor Josh is already setting this up for you. First uh, Peter tells us that there is a storm of persecution coming upon these Christians, and they need to stand firm. They are spiritual exiles. Their allegiance is to God, and they are different but they are not to be odd. Now, as I began to look at those different uh, foundational aspects of this book, I thought, boy, it's too bad we couldn't be studying something relevant for us today, right? Isn't that so appropriate? First Peter and these big themes, persecution very possibly coming, the need to stand firm and realize that our ultimate allegiance is always to God our Father and Christ our Savior. What a wonderful book your pastors have put before you to be studying during this tumultuous time. The theme as it was introduced to you is that believers must stand firm for the gospel and look to Jesus as their living hope. Believers must stand firm for the gospel and look to Jesus as their living hope. And I really hope that as you go through these, these texts and as you're in this book for I don't know how long, weeks or months, that that will really drill down into your soul. Christian, those of you who know Christ as your Savior, you have a living hope for each day. And if you're here this morning and you don't know what that means, if you say, my life feels hopeless, the best place to start, the first place to look for a hope that will not let you down is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
let's open with a word of prayer this morning and dive into this study together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Living Waters Fellowship. Thank you for these people who have come out this morning to be fed and encouraged from your word. Please open my lips to communicate your message to your people for your glory. May my heart be changed and may their hearts as well, that we might go forward into a lost and dying world and proclaim the great hope of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. I've got a picture I'm going to throw up here for you, and I want you to tell me if you recognize uh, what TV show this is taken from. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Do you see what that is? How many of you are familiar with Antiques Roadshow? Antiques Roadshow, right? Now, I'm going to be the first one to admit I am not into antiques, okay? I do not have the discerning eye. I don't know the difference between trash and treasure. I'm the opposite of a hoarder. I'm a pitcher. I don't know how many times Ellen has said, hey, where did that go? I said, I threw it away. Stephen, that was our second born. You can't do that. You have to, I, I just get rid of stuff. If it collects too much dust or sits around, it's gone. So even though I don't have a, a great interest in antiques, this show, or at least the concept of this show, is still very interesting to me. And the point is, is that people come in, they, they have these things, they have these antiques, maybe something that grandma and grandpa or great-grandma and grandpa gave to them, and it's been in their house, it's been in their closet, it's been stuffed under their bed or in the box in a closet, and they kind of have an inkling that, you know, maybe, maybe it's worth something. Maybe it's special. Maybe it's unique. And so they bring them onto this show, and, and the show has these experts who, who can look at this piece, and they know their history, and they know the significance. And sometimes you find out, like I'm guessing this lady just did, that what you have is incredibly valuable. It is worth far beyond what you may have understood. Well, how do they determine that? How does that happen? They bring in these experts who share the history, they share the setting, the significance of the piece, and it reveals the value that's already been there, right? The value of that piece, that antique or whatever it is, that value was already there, but it becomes more apparent, it becomes more clear and it maybe even becomes uh, something that the person understands for the first time because the truth is shown to them. Well, I would like to take this text for you this morning. And I'd like to show you what I think are four experts that are coming to us in this text to show you the incredible history, the incredible value of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If I could just share my heart with you this morning, the big idea that I'd love for you to take away is, dear Christian, dear struggling, suffering Christian, your hope for today has an incredible history. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you may be going through. But if you know Christ as your Savior, the hope that you have in him, your living hope has an incredible history. So let's look at this text together. As we dive in, I want you to notice that the first word of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, says concerning. Now that means he's, he's looking back over the nine verses that he's already shared. And then if you go to the end of our text and, and go into verse 13, the first word of verse 13 says, therefore, 
which means he's looking back. So, so what you have before my text this morning and what you have after my text is all connected. We can't disconnect this short text from its context. But I don't want to be redundant and re-preach what you've already heard, and I don't want to steal from the next guy and take away some of his thunder, but I want you to see clearly this morning as we start that this text is a piece of the puzzle. It's part of where you've already been, and it's part of where you're going. And these individuals, these experts in the text, are trying to demonstrate the incredible history, significance, and value of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. So let's call on our first expert here, and I want you to see that's the prophets. The prophets. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. The prophets who prophesied. This text is pointing to the hope that we find in verse 3 and in verse 13, and it's calling on these individuals to give testimony of the living hope of our salvation. Our salvation, our eternal life through Jesus Christ, means we have a past, present, and future hope that cannot be taken away from us. It is secure, and Pastor Josh did a great job bringing that out in verses 3 through 9. I think that this text this morning shows us that our hope is special, verses 10 through 12. And then in verse 13 and the following, you're going to see that your hope leads to sanctification. It should change the way you live your life every day. So these prophets are proclaiming a message that Peter then uses to bring together his call for Christians to live in hope, and to demonstrate that hope each day by how they live. These prophets prophesied about the grace that is to be yours. Now wait a minute. The prophets. The Old Testament prophets prophesied about what? What's the the word say? The grace. Now that can't be right, because we all know Old Testament is just law, 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 right? Just law, 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 and we don't know anything about grace until we get to the New Testament. I hope you're shaking your head and knowing that that's, that's not true. The prophets prophesied about the grace. Is there grace in the Old Testament? Amen, you bet. Absolutely there is. The Old Testament foretold with great detail and clarity exactly what the New Testament reveals to us in high death. And we are so thankful that we sit on this side of the cross and we can see that beautiful picture of the gospel. But the Old Testament prophets had clearly from the Spirit the foretelling, and the prediction of what Christ would come and do. There are so many texts, so many verses in the Old Testament that that point to the salvation, the restoration of God's people and their salvation. Here's a familiar verse that you probably recognize, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. He says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. We see right here in this text that God was proclaiming through his prophet his plan and his intention to bring forgiveness and cleansing to his people. These prophets prophesied of the grace that was to be yours. Now look at the next phrase. And they searched and they inquired carefully. 
They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he preached of the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. This verse is telling us that the prophets did their homework. What they had to say, what they communicated for the Lord, they then sat down and studied and they said, we want to figure this out. Exactly what is God saying is going to happen. The prophets themselves did not always understand the full extent of what they were communicating. At New City Church, where I serve as a pastor, we've just finished up a study in the book of Daniel, and Daniel is actually a good example of this. According to Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, it says that as he was studying the prophets, he figured out the timing of the exile and that it was coming to an end. So, so Daniel sat down and did his homework and put two and two together and figured out some of the prophets who had come before him. And yet we know that Daniel himself was a prophet, right? Did Daniel understand everything that he prophesied? If you read Daniel chapter 8, verse 27, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 8, do you know what it says? It says that Daniel, when he received his visions, was sick, he was appalled, he sat down, and he did not understand what he had seen. He didn't get it. He, he says, this is the message of the Lord to you. Well, what does it mean, Daniel? I'm not sure yet, but it's worth looking into. It's worth studying. And you know what? We'll cut Daniel some slack, won't we? We'll cut these Old Testament prophets some slack. They, they, were, they were foretelling things that would not happen for centuries. But do you know who else didn't understand? The disciples. The, did the disciples understand the, the, everything that the prophets said about Jesus? Isn't, isn't Peter, the very one who wrote this book, isn't he exhibit A of not quite getting it? You know what I'm talking about, right? Do you remember when Peter went from commendation to condemnation in like 10 verses? In the book of Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus says, hey, who, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, oh, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Yes. Way to go, Peter. You're absolutely right. That is who I am. And now I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. Oh, wait, 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 Jesus. Hey, come over here. Let's chat this out for a minute. I'm not going to let that happen to you. Oh, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, can you imagine the emotional roller coaster for this poor disciple? He's like, yes. In front of his, in front of his friends, he had just made a statement that Jesus said. Jesus gave him an attaboy. And then two sentences later, he calls him the devil himself. The disciples who walked with Jesus struggled to grasp and understand the very things that were written of him. We find another example of this in, in Luke's gospel on the road to Emmaus. How many of you are familiar with the book, The Stranger? I don't know if you guys use that book, The Stranger, here like some of the churches do, but it's a wonderful book. Whether you, don't, uh, whether you have a friend who doesn't know Christ or whether you don't know much about Christ or whether you've been saved for 50 years, the book, The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, is a wonderful book uh, to, to deepen your, your faith and show you more of the gospel. And it begins with this scene on the road to Emmaus. After Jesus has died and, and rose again, these disciples are walking away from Jerusalem, discouraged and disheartened. And Jesus meets them on the road, and they don't know who he is. 
and they're having this conversation, and Jesus finally rebukes them, and he says, oh, you foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. And then he took the prophets and Moses, and it says he declared to them everything that should happen to him. Jesus Christ spoke clearly from the Old Testament and from the prophets and said, look, I'm doing everything that has already been foretold. What's the point of what Peter is saying here? The prophets from millennia past have been testifying to God's gracious saving plan through Jesus Christ. The history of our living hope has been well documented down through the ages. Even when the prophets didn't understand it, even when they didn't know it, they were speaking valuable, important truth. God gave me a fun illustration for this, actually just yesterday. An individual that we know from New City Church is a pilot, and he has an airplane, and he offered to take me up flying. I said, oh, sure, I'll absolutely do that. We're sitting on the taxiway, getting ready to take off, and he hands me a piece of paper. It's a pre-flight checklist, right? You're familiar with this? And he says, start reading this off, and uh, you're going to help me get ready. And uh, there's like two words I, I recognized on there, flaps and GPS. And everything else was all these random words and acronyms, like four of them I mispronounced. And I'm reading this checklist, and you know, flaps, check, you know, wings, check, you know. We're going through this list. I have no clue what I'm talking about but I'm helping him prepare for the flight. The prophets spoke and prophesied even more than they ever understood because Christ was going to come and fulfill everything that they said. The prophets, and secondly this morning, I want you to see not only the prophets spoke, but it was the Spirit. It was the Spirit. Look at verse 11. It was the prophets who were speaking in the Spirit. Verse 11 says they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. The prophets studied carefully. They received these words from the Holy Spirit. And I would say that the Holy Spirit of God qualifies as an expert on our living hope. And they were just trying to figure out the who, what, when, where, and why. They were saying, okay, what does this guy look like? This Messiah that we're anticipating, this this one that we're prophesying of, what's he going to look like when he comes? The prophets were trying to build a profile from what the Holy Spirit said of what the Messiah would look like, right? That's what they wanted to do. Now let me ask you a question, if you know your New Testament very well at all. When Jesus Christ came, were there many people who rejected him as the Messiah? Jesus Christ came and was rejected because he did not fit the profile that people had decided the Holy Spirit had given. The Holy Spirit gave a clear profile of what the Messiah would look like, and people looked at it and said, boy, we sure like those victory verses. We sure like this conquering king, this reigning king. The religious leaders rejected Jesus because he upset their apple cart, The people loved Jesus until the handouts stopped. They wanted to make him king until he started saying something about a cross. And then nobody wanted anything to do with him. Jesus did not fit their profile. 
He was not the powerful conquering king that they thought he would be. But let me ask you a question. Did Jesus Christ fit the profile that the Holy Spirit gave us in the Old Testament of the one who is to come? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Did the Holy Spirit give us a profile that fits Jesus Christ? If you have to share the gospel, I bet many of you often do what what I do as well and go quickly to Romans Road. If you're familiar with that Romans Road, you can take those verses in Romans and you can work your way through. You start Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 10.9 and 10, whoever calls on the Lord will be saved. You can take the Romans road and you can point clearly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me ask you, have you ever used Isaiah's interstate? You ever used that one? Have you ever used Isaiah's interstate to show clearly what Jesus Christ came to do and what he accomplishes on our behalf? If you haven't, I'd like you to turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1, just follow along as I read. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up from him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces... He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Does that fit the profile of Christ our Savior? Does that fit the profile of the one who came and suffered in our place for our sinfulness? Absolutely it does. The Holy Spirit has testified clearly of the profile of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, the Holy Spirit didn't wait for the New Testament writers to start sharing the gospel of what was to come. Our sinless, suffering Savior came on behalf of sinful people. That is the clear, clear profile from the beginning to the end of the Word of God. We have the prophets. We have the Spirit. And third in this text, we see the preachers. The preachers speak to us as well. Look at verse 11 again. Uh, inquiring diligently what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Those who preach the good news to you. 
Okay, I think I heard it. Is Pastor Josh in here? I heard an amen that sounded like his voice, or is he not in here? Okay, I don't, I don't hear him. He's not shouting out. All right, but Pastor, we do have Pastor Chad in here, right? Is there another pastor in here? You shouldn't put people on the spot when you're preaching, but he's my brother-in-law, so I'm going to do that, all right? So, Pastor Chad, I have a question for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who suffered and died in our place that we might have eternal life and hope for today? I am really glad he got that question right. Listen, folks, I know that sounds simplistic, but what you have in Pastor Chad and Pastor Josh and all of the other pastors of the Engaged Networks and churches all across the world is men and, and individuals who have said, God has placed the burden of preaching this truth on me in such a way that I want to give my life to it. This isn't just some cool thing that I can share and, and, and oh, I'll put a billboard or a sign in my front yard. No, this is a life-changing message that is true and I'm going to preach it. And the apostles all the way down to your pastors are bearing witness to you of the great value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the whole scheme that Jesus Christ really wasn't resurrected, but you know the disciples kind of snatched his body out of the tomb and hid him somewhere? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to die for something that I already know is a lie. The apostles and all the way down to your pastors are bearing witness to you. This is a life-changing message, and we will give our lives so that people will hear it. They are proclaiming the good news to you. The baton has been passed down from the, from the prophets to the apostles to your pastors that this message would be proclaimed, that the Messiah Jesus Christ fulfilled everything that was written about him. He came and he suffered and he died and he rose again that you might have salvation and a living hope. Jesus Christ and his work on the cross was on your behalf and on mine. Do you know this? Have you received it? I don't know this group very well. I don't know if you have entered in here today out of curiosity or boredom or just because a friend invited you or maybe because it's what you always do on Sundays is you go to church. But do you know that this message that is foretold by the prophets, that is confirmed by the Spirit and now proclaimed to you by your pastors is the living hope for you today? Have you received Christ? Has that good news changed you? Just like Pastor Josh said, some young, some lady placed her faith and trust in Christ on Wednesday. Praise the Lord, I got to sit with uh, Pastor Chuck DeClean just yesterday as two more individuals placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I got emotional about it. Do you know why? Because I believe that this is a truth that changes lives. And that's what we proclaim to you. That's what the preachers are proclaiming to you. The prophets, the spirit, the preachers. And the last one, it's just a phrase. And I don't know why Peter tacked this on here. Maybe he was just trying to have some fun with it. So that's what I'm going to do too. Do you see the last expert that Peter calls on? He calls on the angels. They preach to you the good news by the Holy Spirit from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this point, but I want you to just see this. Angels are straining their necks. 
They're jockeying for position. They're trying to look at the reality that you and I can enjoy every day, the living hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are fascinated with angels, right? Every Christmas, Mrs. Miracle, all the lame Hallmark movies, I mean, all the wonderful Hallmark movies, all of these different angelic things that everybody gets all excited about, bumper stickers, don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly, and and all of this. We are fascinated with these unseen powers, and the Bible is telling us they're fascinated with the gospel that we get to enjoy. My son Isaiah has professed Christ. He was just baptized a couple of weeks ago. And, and I tell you what, there was, a, there, was, there was like fruit was falling off of him from the moment he accepted Christ as Savior. It really was. It was just a crazy thing. And, and he has turned into this little theologian. The other night, he was trying to push himself away from the table. He tipped his chair over backward, snapped his head forward, trying to catch himself, and he put his uh, teeth right through his lip. Well, not through his lip, but pretty deep in his lip, you know. And... Um, He's our fourth kid, so we didn't do anything about it. But we got a wet rag, and mom's over there holding him on the couch trying to stop the bleeding. And I hear her start chuckling because he's over there. He's bleeding. We're trying to stop it. And he goes, Mom, how many bad angels are there? And she's like, well, we really don't know. And he goes, well, I think there's probably seven or eight. That was his guess. And another young boy that I bumped into, again, just this last week, he came to me and he said, hey, can, can angels who are good turn bad and angels who are bad turn good? And we had a little conversation. And you know what? Those two young boys are just reflecting a fascination that's in our culture with angels and the unseen realm. But do you know what we have in Scripture is proof positive that the angels are fascinated by us. The gospel truth that we have is something that they long to look into. God's amazing plan for his glory and our good is mind-bending to them. So what about you this morning, Living Waters? Can I submit to you that I don't think you need a new experience to embolden or enliven you for whatever you're facing, whatever you're suffering, whatever you're struggling. You don't need a new experience. You just need a fresh reminder of the enduring hope that has come to you in the person of Christ and the message of the gospel. I challenge you with this. Christian, your hope, your hope is how you handle what you face. Last time you faced something difficult or hard, what did you do? Did you check your bank account to see if you had enough money to cover it? Did you turn to your smarts and your skills to come up with the answer? Did you run to a person, a place, a thing, maybe even a substance to try to deal with the pain or the struggle? Your hope is how you handle what you face, and you have a great hope. You have a powerful hope. You have a living hope. Because of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I know on the basis of these witnesses that you have a treasure of hope in Christ. So can I welcome you to the Gospel Roadshow this morning? Would you do something for me? Would you take out that hope that you have? If you know Christ this morning, would you, would you take out that hope that you have and just take a look at it? Maybe it's been sitting on the nightstand. 
Maybe it's been shoved in the back of the closet. Would you take it out and look at it and realize that the experts that we studied this morning are telling you, you have treasure in your hands. You have something that has existed for millennia and will exist for eternity. It is energy, it is fuel, it is life for your soul and life for every day. Don't set it back in the closet. Don't put it back on the nightstand. Let it invigorate you and enliven you with gospel hope for all that you face today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the living hope that we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that each and every one here, whatever burdens or sufferings or struggles they may be coming in with, would see that this text, so wonderfully written for us by the inspiration of the Spirit through the Apostle Peter, gives us this this expert view that we have something so incredibly valuable. May we not forsake it but may we thrive upon it and go into this week, go into this life filled with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray in his name, amen.